At this time, I invite you to open with me to the New Testament and the Epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 25 through 33, which can be found on page 978 of the Church Bible. That's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 33. It's uh, going to be Christ and His Church, uh, part 58, as we work our way through this letter. And we're knee-deep into it now. Uh, The good news of the gospel of grace and peace by which this world, all creation, will be reconciled to God and set at harmony as it is to be applied to marriage. Um, We've considered this section and thus far what is required of Christian wives. Now, get ready, it's the husband's turn. Although it's important for everyone, uh, in the end, uh, touching on where each one is so that we're all to be tuned in here. So let's give our strict and uh, undivided attention to it, to the reading of God's holy, life-giving word, inspired, infallible, and inerrant. Again, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 33. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes And cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Uh, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. Let the one who has ears to hear, hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, our passage last Sunday morning was the hard part, wasn't it? And that's what some people would say. Uh, often uh, sympathizing with me and my task as a preacher, bringing the call to submission to wives when it's so controversial in our time and place, when wives often have legitimate complaints, grievances, and can be up against various hardships in their marital circumstances and family lives. But... If you think that just because that sermon is in the rearview mirror, it's going to be easy breezy, now smooth sailing, think again. Because I'd like to more than suggest to you that things get ratcheted up even more when it comes to husbands and what is expected of those 
married men who know the Lord. Uh, what, a, what is commanded of, of married women is, is challenging, as challenging for fallen women as it is good, holy, righteous, and wise. But judging from Paul's words here, what is demanded of husbands is arguably an even taller order, even more exacting as they and their duty are put under the microscope. In fact, if a greater number of husbands were merely approximating what is asked of them, submission on the part of wives would be no problem, no questions asked. It's not complicated, it's fairly simple, but is it ever daunting? This, then, all of it presupposes a right relationship with Christ, walking with Him apart from whom uh, we can do nothing. Nothing of lasting spiritual value. I dare to say that even if a a non-Christian is a a remarkably loving husband, it is due to the God we know revealed in Jesus and His so-called common grace, whether acknowledged or not. And many a man has stared at these directives in the face, seen his own severe shortcomings, and all the more collapsed upon the Savior and His saving, sanctifying grace. For He is the wellspring of these things, all of these graces and virtues. Covenant Presbyterian uh, and men, uh, current husbands, future husbands, single brothers needing to play a role through prayer and other support efforts, we need to take this to heart. As do you who are our women and children, who are counting on us to be the men we are meant to be, who need to be reinforced in what to properly desire and look for in us. With this being the the big idea, the main thing God's Word is getting across, because it too flows from God's original design and is central to His remedy for what has gone wrong in marriage. You and I must embrace what Paul outlines in the calling of redeemed husbands. In other words, this is part and parcel of something that has been corrupted and ruined by the fall, which is now being reclaimed as the Spirit joins us to Christ and His benefits, bringing us to a living faith and real repentance. This is also its outworking. This, this as well. So let's uh, zoom in on three points, all very practical and down to earth. First, leadership fueled and shaped by love. Leadership fueled and shaped by love. Church, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, right off the bat, Paul authoritatively lays it down. Husbands, 
love your wives. If showing respect is typically along the pathway to a man's heart, so it is with women and love, with it being how they feel treasured and wanted. So that sure enough, in summation of these things, down in verse 33, Paul insists on this. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, alongside the imperative given to the wife to see to it that she respects her husband. The calling upon Christian husbands to love their wives, sure enough, predominates the landscape here. And yet, it may come off as as counterintuitive. If wives are called to submit, then how come Paul doesn't turn to husbands and call upon them to exercise headship, uh, to lead, to rule? Uh, After all, it is sometimes said that this is how men are wired. They like to run things. And so it is to be encouraged that they be in charge in marriage and in other realms. And the ladies are looking for their husbands to take initiative to lead. This is part of the creation order and intent with Adam made and formed before Eve, with Adam given the mandate directly in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, like to cultivate and protect the garden, with Eve to serve as his helper in these things, as well as his companion. As together, before sin sin entered in, they were to be king and queen under God, reproducing such that the human race would fan out and expand his glory and turn the whole globe into Eden, into paradise. And one of the chief frustrations among married women is when their husbands do not lead, being passive, uh, inactive when it comes to spiritually nurturing their families and teaching their children and so on. They may not be guilty of any outstanding or, or particularly scandalous vices, but it's these deadbeats, and not just those who are abusers, who tempt many wives to pull their hair out. But if this is to be turned around and not turned into some sort of dominion that is destructive and oppressive, then love must be feeling it all. Loving service must mold the sought-after leadership. See, husbands, our, our leadership is not to be driven by us having our way, by us pursuing after some agenda to get what we want in some unqualified manner. In a, in a ton of cases, when, when decisions are being made, you should put your wife ahead of yourself. I mean, that, that should be the default mode. Lovingly allowing her preferences to prevail. If you're picking a home to buy, all the factors that go into it being equal, let let her choice carry the most weight. 
If you're picking a new color of paint for the siding, once more, let her select it. My neighbor just painted his siding. I think it looks good, though not everyone does. He told me it was his wife's choice. And he added, that's all that matters. I say he's a wise man, a loving leader. Now, what if it involves something a bit more consequential? You're still going to seek a consensus with your wife. You're still going to aim for a joint decision. But say you can't get on the same page. Well, you are to break the tie, but you are to do so for the sake of what you deem is best for your family in the sight of God. Uh, so you might say something like this, I know it's not your first choice, but we need to go with this less expensive option because it will still be of adequate quality, but much more in line with our budget, or with that option over there because I think it will better meet our needs, which I think will help us be better stewards of what the Lord has entrusted to us. So you lead out of love with a view to the well-being of everyone in the household and not to push forward things that will do nothing other than gratify your own flesh. Isn't that how Christ leads? Which brings us to our next point. First, uh, leadership fueled and shaped by love. Second, the highest love based upon the highest standard. The highest love based upon the highest standard. Brothers, sisters, it's not just husbands love your wives in verse 25, but husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Of course, it's, it's the humility uh, and meekness of Christ that wives must follow in their roles. But while it's not really an altogether different standard here being imposed upon husbands, it, it, it is more direct and explicit that Jesus is the one who sets the bar through his sacrificial love. Emulate him and imitate that, husbands. This needs to be more than some generic principle. This needs to be fleshed out. And sure enough, Paul uses five verbs to spell out the actions or steps that are found in the progression of his description of Christ's love for the church. Number one, he loved her. As again we read in verse 25, this is what sets the tone for a Christian husband and his love, with there being an analogy between Jesus' love and a merely earthly human husband's love, if not an identity. In the case of the God-man, his love would stretch back into eternity when he, as deity, as the second person of the Godhead, the Holy Trinity, committed to undertake for a bride that, spiritually speaking, morally speaking, was ugly, uh, who, who would have nothing by which she could commend herself. But in the face of so many demerits, he, in his state pre-existing his incarnation, determined 
to gloriously condescend, to love her, to rescue and save her. There were no conditions she would meet to compel him to do this. So an earthly, merely human husband's love to his wife, especially if he's a Christian, and he knows Christ our Lord, and his otherworldly love, is to be, among other things, unconditional. Number two, as we read in the rest of verse, uh, as, as we read in the rest of verse 25, he gave himself up for her, did Christ for the church. This is what love is, agape love, with agape being the Greek term behind this distinctively Christian conception of love, laying your life down for the true welfare of the other. He would die for the church his bride, on her behalf. Uh, Love, along these lines, then, is not a feeling. Uh, It is not to be confused with so-called falling in love. There is more to this than romance. Uh, The romantic element may, may give you that burst at the beginning, like when you start swimming by diving into the pool. But then you need to start uh, pumping those arms and legs, unable to afford to just depend upon that initial momentum all by itself. Likewise, you've made a covenant promise, and you need to follow through, as I do. Husbands are somehow to mirror it, the most selfless person and act ever. Ever to mark human history. This calls for the opposite of selfishness, you see. Now, look, I know it, as you do, guys. We can talk a good game. Uh, we as husbands can, can major in, in very grandiose gestures, flowers, uh, special gifts, things we come up with on various occasions. and These are all good. Especially if it isn't a specific um, day, like when such things are kind of normal, like on an anniversary, or a Valentine's Day, or a birthday. An unexpected expression of encouragement can be a very good thing, very thoughtful. By all means, do it. Give yourself to stuff like that. But then we can end up making statements and saying things like, I would die for you. And isn't that Christ-like? I would put myself between you and any intruder. Dear wife, I would take a bullet for you. Well, we often forget that uh, Christ's sufferings at Calvary were the culmination of his lifelong daily death to self. And it's really in the grind of the everyday and the mundane that we need to be willing to lay our lives down, saying no to self, working, providing, uh, being faithful consistently, uh, even in the little things which do add up, thus tending to the needs of your family your kids, 
just being present to your wife. All ears listening when that's what she is seeking from you. Being willing to help her out when she is spent. Uh, like taking a turn, doing some chore around the house, which will maybe perhaps go beyond what you usually would do. It's not going to upset the equilibrium of the universe or who and what you are as a man to serve her in these ways. Even if it means foregoing or setting aside some pastime you're really attached to, that you really look forward to, like watching a football game. This is how you and I need to die for our wives. Maybe not literally, physically, but maybe stepping in between our own sin and self-absorption and self-centeredness and our wives. Maybe that's the deadly force and threat we need to take on. Number three and number four. Christ did all this for the church in order to what? To serve what purpose? According to verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Paul may be referring to an initial definite washing, uh, which takes place first to set apart the woman for her husband, uh, a, a pre-wedding ritual bath, which would be common in the ancient world. And Christ thus justifies his bride, the church, paying the price of his own blood and righteousness and making her his own once for all. Praise and thanks be to God. And his work performed by his son 2,000 years ago and then made ours by the Spirit. Then we need daily, continual renewal and sanctification. The Redeemer takes us as we are. Uh, but He doesn't leave us where we are. Gradually changing our character and ridding us of blemishes and warts, so to speak. The word is mentioned here, so is water. And when it comes to those who do repent and believe, baptism is an effectual means so that the sacrament may be in view here as the sign and seal of these things, the purifying effects of the word upon the church and her members. So husbands, what, what might this have to do with how you love your wives? Of course, the, the comparison breaks down at points as husbands cannot and do not atone for their wives, themselves or anyone, just as they cannot and do not accomplish anything that is utterly the domain of the Lord Jesus and Him alone. But like I am, you are to promote and serve her holiness, her sanctification. You are not the only agent of these things. Sometimes what a husband is to do gets exaggerated as if he is to spiritually control and, and micromanage his wife. As if a wife can't grow in her faith through other channels and things God uses. And the flip side is true too, that the Lord will use a wife in her husband's sanctification. Marriage is sanctifying for all 
involved, often painfully so. But husbands, you are to be a leading participant with the Lord in your wife's Christian development as you pray for and with your wife. As you each share in God's word with her, as you speak to her your own edifying words with your language and tone consonant with Scripture, and as you make the worship and life of the church a non-negotiable for you and your whole family. You are to help stimulate your wives spiritually onwards to maturity while seeking the same for yourself, lest you be ignorant of your own sin, lest you fail to deal with your own pride, lest you drive her a little bit crazy. Spurring her on with the zeal the Lord gives to you yourself, first of all. Redirecting her to Christ. Very exciting. And the trend continues with a fifth verb. Christ has loved his bride in the church also and ultimately, as we read in verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. When a husband sees his bride on the wedding day, she is the star. She is strikingly beautiful, never looking better, with more to come when they are intimate, when the marriage is consummated. This is the church. When Christ beautifies and completely liberates and perfects her for himself. When she will be glorified, radiating. This speaks of who and what the church really is, her true nature, to be displayed at his second coming without any sin obscuring it anymore. What does this have to do with husbands loving their wives in human marriage? Well, he he is not to crush her. He is to build her up. He is thus to be motivated as a tool of the Spirit in helping her to advance in this journey. In this quest with him as those belonging to the church in union and communion with Christ. He is not to stifle her true self, but help bring it out, which she has been created and redeemed to be, with there being glimmers and signs of what she will be one day, with and like him, destined to be a dazzling creature, with all the other dazzling image bearers who will make up the church as the church will be. Men, he will see your wives then. And they will each far surpass what you saw on your wedding day or any day before or after on this side of eternity. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, as we read and take in from the book of Revelation, what is being asked of us It may be hard, but it is 
simultaneously thrilling. First, leadership fueled and shaped by love. Second, the highest love based upon the highest standard. Third, love for wife, love for one's own life. Love for wife, love for one's own life. Beloved, this comes as a twist and turn in what Paul has to say. What we find as we approach verses 28 through 30, namely this. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Now, some will insinuate that Paul is realizing that after so much lofty talk about Christ and a Christian husband's love being like the masters himself, he is toning things down a little and making a more rudimentary appeal to a husband's desire for his own happiness. As if this is some Christianized version of that phrase we sometimes hear in our time and place, happy wife, happy life. There may be some truth to it, even while it can be so Uh, easily manipulated, distorted, such that you're really only trying to do this or that for your wife so that she'll be more inclined to do your own bidding. But I believe this is a bit off and that Paul is rather getting at something quite sublime. Human marriage, and certainly between uh, one or more more, uh, of the couple who are Christians, is grounded upon... Uh, the relationship between Christ and the church, where there is a matching union and oneness. Christ is bound to and united to his church such that what's hers became his, and what is his has now become hers. Uh, He took her past and gave to her his future. They are intertwined, inseparable, sharing in the same heavenly destiny. So her condition and joy and peace and safety and more are all his special, vital concern as his blessedness is wrapped up with hers. He can't and won't be happy and sit still apart from all being well with her. And so it is reflected in your union with your wives, husbands. Neither of you loses your individuality or or personhood on that level. You don't dissolve and and merge into some third thing. No, it's you and it's your wife, but you are so united that Paul can say that loving her for you is like loving yourself and your own body, your own flesh, which is the most natural thing to do. In our right minds then, failing to love our wives is something we should see as downright unnatural. Failing to love her, or instead hurting her in some way, is like doing ourselves damage. 
and, and, and self-harm. Your single life and hers are over. You now combine to jointly live out one life together. Uh, it, it's akin also to the, to the, the oneness and unity of, of the church in Christ Jesus. Dividing and fragmenting because of a failure to love one another as Jews and Gentiles or whatever differences there might be among us is, is a grotesque contradiction of what God has wrought in His Son. Similarly, not loving your wife, not putting her first, humanly speaking, is like a denial of your marriage and the reality of your shared life. This is why when marriages break down and split up, when separation and divorce take place, even when for one party it may be biblically justifiable and necessary, it induces such searing pain. It is like you're being dismembered and torn apart, issuing in a, in a traumatized state to some degree for the spouses and for any children involved as they must deal with the collateral damage though they are innocents. You can go through something like that and be in denial and, and, and pretend everything is fine and, and jump right into another relationship throwing caution to the wind but the ones who aren't in denial will slowly go about the process of recovery. So why, if you are a Christian husband, would you risk any of that? Why would you fail to love your wife with something along the lines of the love of Christ? Why would you tolerate anything to the contrary that could be the seeds of something so devastating? If you knew you had to take a certain medicine at a certain time every day to stay alive for the sake of your flesh and blood body and its sustenance, you'd be clockwork and, and super disciplined in making sure it happens. Look at your wife in the same vein and guard her and your marriage accordingly. Pursue her, intentionally nourishing the relationship and taking all the help you can get, including the assistance and resources of the Christian community. First, leadership fueled and shaped by love. Second, the highest love based upon the highest standard. Third, love for wife, love for one's own life. Dear brothers and sisters, this, the whole of it, is just one major extension of what Paul has already stressed up above in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. To copy the God we know in His Son. To love as He has loved. Nonetheless, this business of loving our wives as Christ Jesus has loved the church does sound and feel impossible. We are reliant then upon our King and Savior because in and of ourselves it is impossible. 
We love because he first loved us, as another apostle puts it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We draw upon him and the energizing dynamic and power that he gives. We pass on what we receive from him and his hand in him as we sit at his feet. We extend something of his love towards us, whether we are husbands or whatever the relational details of our Christian lives might be. C.S. Lewis admits that we are enticed to dismiss an aspect of the Christian life like this one in the name of it being too difficult. But he says it's like a question on an examination. You may be overwhelmed by it, but it's compulsory. So you have to do it, doing the best you can. Not giving yourself to it is not an option. You may be flawed, very imperfect, as I am, as all Christian husbands are in this life, as every Christian in every circumstance is. But it can be pretty amazing what takes place when you know you've got to dedicate yourself to it. And even as you fall short, and even as I do, we know that we have a generous Father above who will impart forgiveness at the cross and give empowering, even the empowering of the empty tomb by the Spirit when we come through His only begotten Son and our elder brother. Do not give up then, but press on as husbands, or in connection with whatever your station in life might be right now, as you endeavor to magnify our all-worthy triune God. Amen.